Macarion to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner! Here's Sims to put Stokes this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it! Just a minute to play. That's stoppage time. Here's Letizia! Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saints FC podcast. Uh, I think we're at episode 48 now, maybe even 49. I should probably you know, wow. know my numbers a little bit better. Um, to the left of me today, those of you who are watching on YouTube, you're going to spot a slightly unusual face. This is uh, Professor Simon Kemp. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so I don't think we've ever had anyone quite as qualified as you on the podcast. Um, Not qualified in football. <laughs> we, I did make that joke uh, when I was chatting to Freddie from the Ugly Insider that you know maybe you're not that qualified on football, but you are qualified to talk about Southampton because you've been a Saints fan for a very, very, very long time. Indeed. We're going to get into that just in a few moments. Of course, if you want to get in contact with the podcast, uh, you can email us saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at saintsfc podcast let us know what you think of simon's thoughts his stories uh, let us know what you think about saints performances um over the last few weeks and if you ever think we're going to score a goal again um we'd love to hear, hear your thoughts um simon just before we actually get into you and the podcast uh -huh. um obviously we had quite a tragic weekend in the premier indeed, league indeed. Um, with uh, Leicester City owner, uh, Mr. Now, this is going to be a tough one for me. Sruvada Hanaprabha. Excellent. You know, dying in that awful, awful helicopter mm. crash. Um, and, you know, the, we know as Southampton fans what it's like to lose an indeed, owner indeed. That, indeed. that you kind of love and adore and has that love for, for the club. You know, w we still kind of think about Marcus Lieber. His, say, his name still gets sung at St. Mary's. Frankly, and I imagine this is going to be the same thing at Leicester City. I mean, uh, the Saints game tomorrow has been cancelled, yes, yes. of course, which I think is, is the right thing to do. But, um, you know, what, what, what a guy. He, he gave Leicester City you know it's such belief and for them to win the premier league title is an amazing thing for leicester city but i also think it's an amazing thing for clubs like southampton you can you can dare to dream you can believe that the impossible is possible so i don't know if you had any thoughts about him and, and the tragic weekend we've just had yeah it, it was a, it was a huge shock i remember um turning on the news and seeing that as it was coming through and i had earlier to that actually turned off the leicester west ham game uh, on BT Sport, and it turned out that when they were doing towards the end of the analysis, they actually heard the explosion, they actually heard the crash, uh, and they actually interrupted their broadcasts from there. Um, and it was just something difficult to get your head around. And it was, I mean, it, I'm not quite sure the reasons for withholding the details for so long. It might just be because there were so many um, financial things to take into consideration with uh, with his business interests. But it's horrible, horrible for the family in particular but it is there's no i mean you're right there's no doubt the game should be cancelled tomorrow it should be postponed because you can't expect those players to be able to play in those in those circumstances because ultimately football is a game about people and there's 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 no other way of looking at it absolutely so um you know our, our thoughts out to all of those uh leicester city fans um uh, Mr. Srivanda Handaprabha and his family, um, you know, we, we send our sincere condolences Absolutely. from the Saints FC podcast. And um, I th also think I, I'd like to, you know, thank his, his family and, you know, thank him posthumously for, for getting involved in football because... You know that that Leicester City title-winning season was such a it was wonderful. You know it was Southampton's best season for for years and years as well. Um, but it really demonstrated that you can, if all things go your way, and you have a really strong group of players, that the top six can be broken and they can be overcome. And that, and that was just wonderful to see that. That was amazing because that season. Um, my son and myself, we had our season tickets. We were in the family stand. 
um, St Mary's for the whole of that season. That season was just a magic season. Whether you were a Saint supporter or a Leicester supporter, particularly obviously as a Leicester supporter, it was a wonderful season. And I remember being at that match and the way the Leicester came back in that game, because we, we were 2-0 up in that match. Yeah. And I remember just watching it thinking, ah, you know, well, we've got this wrapped up, Leicester, they nearly got relegated last season. You know, this this be fine, 2-0 up at home, we're playing some scintillating football, have been all the way through to that point in the season, because it was still relatively early, I believe it was, I think it was October time. And Leicester just absolutely came back into it with such ferocity, such amazing amazing team spirit and the the way they played their way through and they were, I remember them really going through the middle and really making use of that whole Kante drink water axis and Vardy was on his run of most consecutive goals scored in the Premier League and they came into it and at, at the end of it we were hanging on it was two all and we were hanging on but I remember walking away with my son and just saying oh, we should have won that it's only Leicester you know we should have won that and then later on the season you you come to realize Actually, that wasn't a bad result. Yeah, yeah that Con- was actually quite good yeah, to get two goals against Leicester. Yeah. Considering how many teams they turned over that season. And yeah, I, I think I think the majority of fans who don't follow the really big clubs, I think that in terms of the mega clubs, like the, the ones who are seen in the media as being the ones who seem to think there's a divine right to be in the top six, then if you're not supporting one of those, then... I think you can't help but have a soft spot for Leicester mm. because that was so exciting. And you, I, I can't ever remember really wanting a team to win as much as I wanted Leicester to win that, that season. Really want it because it, it was just because it gave us hope. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was such a troped out kind of cliche, but, you know, it was a victory for football, wasn't it? Was, it, it, you it, was, know? it really was. Especially for English football with, with the Premier League and the dominance of the big teams. Yes. Um, Anyway, so Simon, you, you know your 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 voice is kind of careering down people's earphones <laughs> now, and um, you know we're at the University of Southampton where you're you're a professor, um, you're a professor of sustainability, but you're clearly not from Southampton. So can I ask how Welsh lad ends up supporting Southampton? How, how did that happen? Um, probably the same reason a number of people ended up supporting Southampton if it was in the early to mid 1990s. And there's just the simple name, Matthew Letizia. Uh I, I grew up loving football, played football, um, played football all the way through my te- all the way through my childhood, teenage years, into early adulthood. Um, I've even been managing a youth football team, so I, I, I absolutely love the game. But coming from Llanelli, which is uh, not a team that's got. It's, it's not. It's not an area that's really sort of seeped in football. It's all about the rugby. So. My formative years were all about going to rugby matches. So, I mean, I didn't miss a single match down at Stradley Park following Llanethony Rugby Club, now known as the Scarlets. You know, I went every single season. And as an indicator of how old I am, mm. season ticket then for kid, one pound. Oh, my word. So you had one pound and you had a whole season's worth of sport. It was great. But I never really developed any sort of firm affinity with a football club as a result of that. So I was always very much about that, following the rugby, but playing mm. football. And... So I used to watch football religiously, but didn't really have a team. But then when I started seeing more and more of Matt Lattis, I just, I just the things that he was doing, the, thing, the things that he could do were just, just magic. And I started traveling um, around that period. I was living in Cardiff. So I started traveling from Cardiff to matches the Dell. Really difficult to get tickets because you couldn't buy them online in those days and things. I had to try to phone up or sometimes even make make a, a determined trip to go to the box office and get tickets and like that. So, so I, I used to travel down to Cardiff specifically to see to see Matthew Letizia, and it sort of grew from there. So um, I then ended up coincidentally, of course. Um, coming to study an MSc at the University of Southampton and that was only meant to be for one year. Was it really coincidentally Simon? Because uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm here in uh, Southampton University for, you know, well, in the Shackleton building, which was uh, which is the home for the School of Geography and Environmental Science, which is where you're based. And this is where I did my degree. It is, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I have to be honest, I chose Southampton <laughs> because of the football team. <laughs> Um, let's just say it, 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 it was a helpful factor in making the final decision. Which was, was there a nice moment of serendipity? Oh, know? there absolutely was, yes. Um, and yeah, I must, I must admit, I do remember um, 
yeah, there was some elements of coursework where I really should have been working, but I, I went to the Dell instead. Uh, I went out, so I went to quite a, quite, a, quite a lot of matches that season. Obviously, as a student, I couldn't afford a season ticket, and you couldn't get season tickets to the Dell. They were impossible, they gold dust anyway. So I used to go as much as I could. And, yeah, I, I just started going more and more. So it got to the point where I was going to at least every other game. Um, I've even got... I've even got my old seat from the Dell in really? my bedroom. Yeah, in your bedroom. Ah, oh, I'm looking around your office, <laughs> and I can spot it here. Um, uh, it's it's a number seven seat, obviously, ah. um, and it's from the old original stands. It's one of the older wooden seats because um, I was there at the last game, the game against Brighton. And it was just, the, you'll never see that many people get into ground with screwdrivers. Yeah. I was just on that day, because everybody's just dismantling seats. So was the Brighton them. game the one, because the Arsenal game was the last competitive that fixture, was the last wasn't it? One, yeah. yeah. And then... And the Brighton one was just um, that whole closing the cycle of the Brighton yeah. game was the first ever game with the Dell. Uh, and then Uwe Rosler scored that goal, I think in the first 10 minutes or so. And that was the last ever goal scored of the Dell. Although officially, the last ever goal scored of the Dell is that goal by Matty which is just magic I think probably when we saw the fixture list and we thought Arsenal at home yeah. the last day of the Dell we're going to have to have another battle. fixture that we've got a chance <laughs> chance to win but you know that that uh, what a way for it to finish competitively oh, at the Dell with that volley it's beautiful, um, wasn't just it? brilliant you know and that that probably if they'd known that was going to happen I doubt they would have done <laughs> the last last <laughs> no, game no probably not no um okay so, I mean, you've been supporting Saints for years and uh, last time we met at a um, sustainability conference for higher education, um, we'd had a, a beer after, you know, a tough day of kind of lectures lecture, and yeah, very, yeah. very hard work, you know, and we're giving our brains a little bit of a rest. And you told me a really fantastically funny story um, about how you ended up on the pitch at St. Mary's. Yeah. Can you start from the beginning? Because I loved every minute of this story. Okay. Um, yeah, this wasn't my finest moment, but I, I can laugh about it now. It's fine now. Um, basically, it was in 2003, and it was it was the start, it was towards the start of the season after the FA Cup final. And there was just a competition happening down in St. Mary's. And at that time, we didn't have any kids. So we had we had free reign to go out and do whatever we wanted to. And they advertised this whole idea of a Saints pub quiz, but to be held at the stadium and to be hosted by Matt Letizia. So there was no other there was no other thing needed other than the idea of going of going to St. Mary's, um, being able to drink beer with Matt Letizia and other Saints fans and just have a bit of a pub quiz and a bit of fun. So myself and the three of my friends, we went along, one of whom is now my wife, and we went along to this event and somehow or other all the cards fell into place and we managed to come, I can't remember whether it was second or third in that pub quiz. And we were delighted with this, obviously, you know, we'd, we'd had a great night. Um, Matlatis was telling a range of different stories in between things as well, which was very, very amusing, you know, how entertaining he is. So that was great. And it turned out then that the prize for that was to be able to go to St. Mary's to win a smart car. And that wasn't our motivation for going whatsoever, but it was it was quite a nice output. So the top four teams got to go to same areas to compete for this smart car. So we thought, wow, brilliant. And we managed to get some free tickets as part of the results. So we got to go to the game. And the game was Southampton versus Arsenal. So the first time we'd played them, I think, since that FA Cup final. And it was on Monday, the 29th of December, 2003. And it was a live Sky Sports game so it was the monday night football match and i thought great all they all they told us was that you're going to go on the pitch at half time to compete for this smart car so because i've got this sort of tendency to overthink things slightly and also with my work might be slightly related to that i don't know but we then decided that this is going to be a quiz because the first point had been a quiz so it had to be a quiz again so i went through all the record books i went through everything i was trying to memorize as much information as possible key dates in southampton football club history um all the data around ted bates all the stuff around terry payne laurie mcmenemy mick shannon matthew letitia any of the current players who were in the squad at that point in time because this is the point when we when we had michael svensson and we are uh, um and we had bt and phillips and i think we just signed 
no, Dilap would come a season earlier, yeah. I think. Um, and we, so we had all the key players, so I learned all the information about them. I knew all the key stats around Latiss and Shannon and all that lot. Um, and also then took it a step further. Then decided, right, so this is going to be about a smart car. So then calculated how many footballs you can get into a smart car. Um, so just in case we asked that question. Can you remember question, how many I can't remember, <laughs> no. It was 15 years ago. I was trying to recall this over the weekend um, when in preparation for this. I can't remember. And uh, I was doing work all weekend, so I didn't have a chance to recalculate it. Um, so calculate how many footballs. Um, obviously, that would be the size five and get the right dimensions. How many would fit into a smart car? Um, also, then calculated how many smart cars would fit on the pitch of St. Mary's, whether it would actually be in the ground itself in terms of filling the whole stadium, but also within the pitch dimensions. Uh, how many smart cars you, you would need uh, in order to form a chain all the way from St. Mary's to Highbury? Uh, and also the amount of smart cars you need to fill all the way from St. Mary's to Highbury and back. Um, <laughs> the number of smart cars that you would need to fill the Millennium Stadium because there's linking it to the FA Cup final that we'd, that we'd just been playing in earlier that year. So an absolute mountain of information. You had all bases covered there, didn't you? Try to cover everything because we... It, you know what it's like you either go all in or you go home so we wanted to win this but then we got it and particularly since this smart car was a red and white striped smart car oh exactly and the idea of being able to drive that around the city and from a sustainability perspective small engine size low capacity low emissions great yeah. couldn't have argued anymore you can that. get away with that being a sustainability professional yeah just about yeah so so yeah so we were determined we really wanted to win this um, I, think, I think there were other things to try to remember as well and revise, but I can't remember exactly what they were now. But I, I mean, I prepared for weeks for this, really did, because somehow that I got elected as our team representative to go on the pitch to answer these things. So um, come the day of the game, and uh, we had to get there early. So we got there very much aware of the fact that this was going to be the Sky Sports game. And I think it was just about 10 20 minutes before you know the players always come out mm. for the warm-ups this was this was 20 minutes before the players come out for warm so about, about an hour before kickoff yeah stadium was beginning to fill a bit and we had to go down to the pitch for the semi-final so i was there had all my notes had everything in my head i was i'd been prep with my friends all the way down there asking me questions i'd come back with the answers bang 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 <laughs> all the way through got on the pitch and they said right okay so semi-final we now want you to race in a child's toy car <laughs> the length of the pitch. And the winners, and we'll have two heats, and the winners of the two heats go through to the final, which will take place at halftime. And I was like, uh, um, are you not going to ask any questions? No, 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 no questions. But this was the result of a pub quiz, so surely yeah. we're going to do the same thing. No, no, no questions. It's great. So they pulled up this little toy car, and it was genuinely one of these things that you might see like in a, toys. Like a naughty type. Pretty much like a naughty type car, yeah. yeah, which you could just about fit an adult into sitting down, but not very easily. It wasn't, to be honest, it wasn't much much smaller than a smart car, to be fair. But so we, there were there were no pedals as such. It were no, actually, no, no, no. Sorry, there there were sort of pedals, but didn't quite work things. So it it was just one of these things where you had to just sit kind in of there. Like Fred Flintstone type. Very much Fred Flintstone. That's a good yeah. one. I like that. Yeah. So we we had to go down down the side of the pitch on this what was not quite a track, obviously, but that pitch, which has now got this really weird red carpet on yeah. going around the pitch. Which I'm, I'm a bit confused by that. So had a race and went through did the did the heat and absolutely nailed it i was so far ahead of the other person in their car and i was chuffed a bit sis. this person i don't think they even reached halfway by the time even the halfway line by the time i'd actually got down to the end of so the she pitch. threw to the final at this point through the final absolutely chuffed you know thinking right we're ready for and, this and, we're ready. and you've realized that despite all your efforts on the research that's not going to come in handy but you're a I'll dab hand you, you, actually do that yeah <laughs> but, it, but, no. but you're a dab hand at fred flintstone car racing yeah. at this point you, you're feeling confident i was yeah so you know the, I, I was more focusing on that yeah. the fact that perez scored the, the winning what turned out to be the winning goal in the first half did dampen my spirits somewhat but you know, i was still you know steel ready for this thing so come half time and had to go down pitch side and you know they always do that half time entertainment where we were the half time entertainment and I was obviously a bit conscious that it was the Sky Sports Monday night game and whether they might actually cut to the pitch at any point just to fill some time um, so I was you know 
bit conscious about that. And I also had a lovely bobble hat on. Mm. It, was a, it was a work of beauty. It was actually knitted especially for this occasion <laughs> by the grandmother <laughs> of one of our team, Natalie. Um, she actually made us four old retro old school um, football hats. So it was a knitted number with a bobble on the top, red and white stripes. To be honest, it did look a little bit where's Wally. Okay, um, yeah. But so we all four of us had our hats on and I had my hat on. I thought, no. Her grandmother's made this. She's going to be watching the match, so I should, you know, I should wear this. So come the race, there's me against the finalist, and they just go, go. So went flying down, except I could barely move. Um, it turned out that whilst the other person was just streaking away, they'd had the car that I'd had in the first leg in the semi-final. I'd had the car that the person I was racing against in the in the semi-final that had and one car moved very fluidly with the wheels very very fast the other car really didn't <laughs> not at all so i was then struggling but because i'm quite a stubborn individual mm. um even though the other person had streaked to the end and they'd won i i still carried on and it's this moment that has made me realize that you should never ever ever shout anything at a player on the pitch which is less than constructive because you can hear everything <laughs> I've, I've i've experienced this it's not nice the abuse i got of people was really quite dreadful some of them were quite fruity in language some yeah. of them were just laughing people shouting things and some of them were about my hat some of them were about the fact that I couldn't make this car move and I was an idiot and I was a loser and various other colourful terms. But I was trying and I got abuse off the crowd all the way down to the end. All the way and where down did you finish? Was it in front of the Arsenal fans or um, was it finishing no, at the fortu chapel end? fortunately finished on the chapel yeah, end. Okay. It went from Northern down to chapel. So that was okay. That wasn't so bad. But yeah, I was getting some frightful abuse off our fans, um, the Arsenal fans as well, those yeah. who hadn't gone for the half-time um, pint and pie. And yeah, it was a quite embarrassing thing. So when I eventually got there, um, the guy who was doing the half entertainment had already congratulated the winner and the, the smart car <laughs> and then sort of turned to me and goes, so how do you feel? I was going, well, a bit embarrassed to be honest, you know. <laughs> um, didn't really go to plan, but uh, and I was still getting people chanting at me and things. Um, so yeah, I sort of tried to... Um, put my head down a bit and quietly sort of slink back Skulk up to off the seat. Pitch, yeah, yeah um, but fortunately, um, it turns out that a hat is a great disguise because as soon as I'd, I was getting people shouting at me all the way as I was walking back and funny comments and things, and you've got to take them, mm. you know, got to take them do spirit. And I was just laughing back at people and things. But the moment I took the hat off, when I got back down, nobody recognised me. Nobody Phew. knew. This. Yeah, it was <laughs> quite a relief. Because when I got back up to the seat in the stand, the other three were just sort of sitting there looking at the floor. <laughs> pretending like they, pretty much pretending they didn't know me. Their hats were off as well because the hat was clearly a point of yeah. association. But it got worse because uh, I went to work the, the next day mm. and I did actually have... Some people come to me and go, oh, I saw you. I saw you there. What are you, what are you doing? What was that about? You rubbish. Absolutely rubbish. I thought you were running things. And I was hopeless. And yeah, well, the car wouldn't work. One of them was fixed. The other one would go flying. This one just wouldn't work whatsoever. Uh, and they were going, oh, no. And I was going, so you were at the game as well? And going, oh, no, no. I saw it on telly. Oh, no. And I was just, no. Oh, my God. This is how how many Sky million Sports. viewers do they get on Sky Sports? I, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I really don't want to think about it at all. I mean, at that point as well, it was actually the highest league attendance uh, at the, in the history oh, of Southampton word. Football Club. Um, at St. Mary's, it was it was 32,175 or something like that. It's only now been bettered by the promotion from from Championship to the Premier League, the 4-0 win against yeah. Coventry. That is the only fixture that actually had a higher attendance, not because they were able to um, have different ticket allocations because the Championship. But yeah, it was actually the most populated game in the history of Southampton and life on Sky Sports. And I was wearing a Where's Wally hat <laughs> going down the side of the track in a, in a children's toy that didn't move properly with a good few thousand people chanting at me. So yeah, never be nasty to people on the pitch. They hear it, and it hurts. And, um, Still hurts. Simon, do you have a message to our listeners who some of them were probably <laughs> in that, that group of fans that, uh, uh, you know, maybe sent some colourful language your way? Um, if you did, then I, I understand. I understand. But, I, but, I, I but looked what? rather foolish. But I couldn't say at the time yeah. that this car just isn't working. I should have just got up, kicked it and walked off. Yeah. Um, 
that would have been more entertaining i should have done that but no i had to see it through to the end the kind of bloody mindedness of yeah. right I'm gonna, i've got to finish this yeah, yeah. completely okay well <laughs> thank you very yes. much Simon. one of my most embarrassing moments and and probably that, my most embarrassing how long did moment. it take you to go back to st mary's after that <laughs> a couple of months actually yeah um because i didn't have a season ticket i, I had to um face up the idea of going back to it but i was confident yeah that without the bobble without, hat you'd be okay the hat, it'd be fine. has the bobble hat ever resurfaced yes i've actually got a photo of my son wearing that bobble hat at his first ever saints game. okay he went to it was saints west brom i think it was about four seasons ago it was one nil lilana scored and my son was wearing that bobble hat I think it was because it was January and it was winter, but he seemed to like it because yeah. it, was, it was the same sad. Okay, brilliant. Um, so there, I think there's a there's a clear message here, isn't there, for the Saints fans? You know, don't do the halftime entertainment. <laughs> like, don't just do the halftime entertainment for one, but also try and be a little bit nicer to the players because yeah, you know, it, they're all human beings. It, yeah, it does affect them. Oh, yeah, which can be quite difficult. I mean, Charlie Austin put a tweet about you know, come and get behind us at St Mary's yeah. and. Yeah. Um, you know you do pick up on things it's like spider senses you yeah. can, you, you you pick up these things because you you've got heightened awareness it's not natural having that many people watching it's not a natural thing at all i right. mean you know I, I make a joke with my students frequently that um when i'm lecturing if they're if they're whispering and chuntering away a little bit at the back i can hear them yeah i can hear them the reason i can hear them pick up nothing because it's not a natural thing. This might only be about a hundred odd people, mm. but you pick up on the little things because you are in a, you are a, you're in a situation where your senses are very much heightened. You're very much aware of your surroundings. You're very conscious of the fact that everybody's yeah. looking at you. So you pick up on the littlest things. So I really feel for the players. Yeah. So there we go. Message to the Saints fans. Next game at St Mary's. Do your best. Try and get behind yeah, the team. I know absolutely. it's difficult. I mean Charlie Austin saying that as well. But you know we want to see we want to see the action on the pitch as well you, you know at least you put in an effort you know you had you I had, put a shift you had in. yeah exactly I absolutely put a shift in um and, my, and legs hope, hope, my legs were burning by the time i got back up those steps yeah hope, hopefully the saints players can actually put a bit of a shift in and you know sh- should we get on to, to saints currently at the moment um yeah i think maybe at the end we'll come back to maybe your favorite saints memory as well so we'll, we'll come to that at the Brilliant. end so that we can actually um, get a nice little story out of you as well and something a little bit more cheery than getting dogs <laughs> abuse from the St Mary's faithful um, but we, we do have to cover off the, the recent fixtures as well um, and the, the last two games we've had since uh, we last recorded was the 0-0 against Bournemouth and the 0-0 against Newcastle and both games were, were relatively similar I think and, and same score the reason why I think they're similar same score 0-0 again two kind of improved performances from Saints I think the away point at Bournemouth was was, was point, valuable actually. but you know most Saints fans and you know Mark Hughes said it himself we had to follow up that performance with a victory against Newcastle which we didn't once again creating lots and lots of chances I think we had about 24 shots yeah. on goal against Newcastle only four of them on target and once again uh, zero goals um now, Duncan Alexander, who uh, works for Opta, uh, he's been on the podcast before and um, he's been doing some research as well about Southampton. Interesting. And before the game against Newcastle, so bearing in mind this statistic has got worse, um, to, for Southampton to reach 50 goals in a season, which is a fairly normal, reasonable, feasible amount of goals you might want to score in a season, out of 38 games, it would take them 1,034 shots to achieve that at their current rate. And I think the most shots in a season is a good couple of hundred less than that. Um, so we're in trouble. We're, 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 we're profligate in front of goal. Yes. Um, but, you know, but what, 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 do we do, what do we do about that? What, did you see any hope that we might be getting our, our goal? I think that's five games on the trot now in the Premier League we haven't scored. Well, I mean, the most, I think the most frustrating thing for me with the Newcastle game was that chance right at the very, very start where El Nayusi was put through. It was, it was a nice move, to be fair. And he took the tight angle shot. And in reality, I, I'm not sure from the offside rule whether Charlie Austin would have been offside in terms of when the when that passage of play started. Because when that passage of play started, he was marginally offside. Yeah. It went through two other people before it got to El UC, and then he shot across. He shot straight at the keeper, whereas Charlie Austin was completely open in the middle. Yeah. Now, Charlie Austin was actually behind him. So technically, according to the law, if you pass him backwards, then that's onside. 
it, de- it would have depended whether the referee had gone back, where the linesman actually had gone back two or three phases yeah. to that point, which pr- which they probably wouldn't have. No. So that was really frustrating because you could see you could see Charles in screaming at him afterwards, yeah. having a right tantrum, just going, "What are you doing?" Comp- and he was totally open. That was frustrating. Um, I think we're all still waiting for Elmer UC to deliver. Yeah. There are some stats I've seen somewhere there. He's one of the, he's, he's one of the players with the highest level of, of assists, which might lead to that whole expected okay. goals yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, it's a good quality assist. So he's, he's good quality at setting things up, and he did do a couple of good assists. Uh, set well, he cut now technically assists because the goal yeah. didn't go in. Uh, in the Newcastle game, but I do sometimes worry that he just seems he seems to make the wrong decisions in terms of in that final area, and I think that's what's coming down to because Redmond's another classic example. Is you know he's had a storming start of the season. He's he's looked incredibly dangerous mm. and threatening, but he always seems to take it one player too far or maybe playing the wrong pass. And I don't know how that can be improved upon other than just. Somebody again, just getting the luck, just getting the rub of the green, yeah, and getting their confidence back. It's not something that I think can necessarily be worked on in training. I think it is just a matter of it's going to come good, which is a difficult thing to really try to quantify because I think we all remember last season we all expected everything to come good and it just it just never did, did it? You know? um, so that is a worry. Um, I'm still not entirely, entirely certain around. Lamina, whether whether we need to be trying to push him forward a bit more, because sometimes when he does take a shot, it can be um, a relatively high quality. And I mm. did think we missed Hoybier uh, on on Saturday. Um, personally, he is my favourite player in that team in terms of overall quality and contribution. Everything around his play, everything the way he the the way, the way he speaks afterwards around with the club and the way he seems to, the way he seems to conduct himself. I just think he's just. A brilliant ambassador for the club. And see, great player. He, he seems like a proper leader, doesn't he? he really you know, does. Uh, Ryan really Bertrand does. is the on-pitch captain. I, I can understand why Hughes wouldn't want to take away the captaincy yeah, because that's, that's yeah. a, it's a it's bad a thing to do to to Bertrand. But Hoiberg seems like a potential yes, you know, on-pitch captain in the making. I, I would think. Um, it was funny with with Hoiberg being ill. I would have almost thought Stuart Armstrong would have been a better option at, at, at home. Yeah, yeah, especially at home. You know, Lamina and Romeo together in the centre of uh, midfield. We've seen time and time again is a bit too defensive. It really, is. we don't get enough going forward when those two are paired up. And um, out of those two, you'd expect Lamina to be the person getting forward, which yes. he did on occasion. He he, did. he did. hit the post, but uh, other occasions he was still sat in front of the back four, and you're kind of thinking. Well, that's that's a little bit silly, isn't it? You know, a bit of a waste of time. And um, Newcastle weren't off very much. They really weren't off very much at all. They were very, very defensive. Yeah, they didn't the, manage a single to- shot no, on target for the entire the, game. The, 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 again, towards the end of the game, I was expecting the usual, whereby we've been pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, they break away and score mm. a last-minute goal. But even when they did attack, it never really looked threatening. No. I, di- I didn't get that usual heart-in-the-mouth sensation that I get from so many matches. Yeah. So... I personally felt that we could have pushed further forward with one of those with one of those midfielders, and in that role, you could have gone for more of a diamond yeah. um, rather than the really defensive middle two with the two wingers. Go for more of a diamond and have either Stuart Armstrong yeah. or possibly even Prowsey, because I tell you what, when he came on, the quality of the deliveries and the threat from the set pieces. And just something inside the passing, I I personally thought much. I thought it looked much more dangerous. Yeah, the, um, particularly he had a great ball in the in the closing moments of the game, didn't he? Yeah. In which uh, Jack Stevens just couldn't quite get on yeah. the end of. Brilliant, brilliant, and we were missing that. Mm. We're, we're we're missing that quality of creativity. We haven't really got anybody who can do those little tiny little sparks of differenceness that are not so pace-based. I mean, Redmond and LUC seem to be very much pace-based yeah. with the threat that they've got there. I know everybody's still going on about, uh, and I'm the same with um, the loss of Tadic, in that he was never about that pace, but it was about those little subtleties of, of movement, quality, yeah. those little bits of just slightly changing the direction of play, just taking plays off balance by the body shape and the body position. Um, we're missing that because th- that, that takes real composure. Mm. And with that sort of shape in the body, that only really matters when you're doing it in, in the slower in the slower moments. And we're we're horribly missing that. Yeah, I, d- I think you know this kind of malaise that we've had over the last couple of seasons is that 
lack of quality. And, you know, once again, with Tadic going out the door and Elianusi coming in, it looks like we've got someone who's just slightly less good than yes. Tadic in the same yeah. position. And um, I watched the highlights of the Liverpool-Cardiff game and you see oh, Van Dijk um, has really Mane. improved their defence so much. Mane We've and Adam Lallana as Mane. well. You know, Adam Lallana who... Okay, yeah, so had he's my second favourite yeah. Saints player. I loved him. He he's, was just the best. He's, he's had quite a few injuries at Liverpool, but even still, he's really struggling to get into that Liverpool first yep. team regularly and you look at the quality he has and we just don't have a player of that level of quality anymore. No, we don't. And and that's the really frustrating thing. And I don't know um, how close you follow the Saints Twitter, but um, Jake Hesketh scored, he's, he's a, scored a wonderful against goal Pompey, against Portsmouth. Yeah. You know, proper proper Saints player there getting a great yeah. goal at Fratton Park um, and that's where I think it's Burton Albion that he's playing for yeah. but it was very Lallana-esque wasn't he it it around was. about three or four players like held onto the ball yeah. just glued to his feet and then rockets it into the into the he's, goal he always looked real quality whenever yeah. he came on because um, I remember he nearly scored on his debut um, you know he saw him score a few, in quite a few of the reserves matches and yeah. like but he's always looked a really really talented player I just wonder whether people think he's just whether the management think he's just a little bit too lightweight mm. physically for the Premier League but hopefully the time he spent in Burton Albin down in League One will do him some we'll good toughen him up a bit because it, it, it's, it's like if you look at James Madison with Leicester at mm. the moment um, the reason he's come on so strong is because he had that time away yeah playing in places like Aberdeen and really having to put himself about and then building his way through and now he's got he's you know he's developed himself physically and he's got that confidence that ability yeah so yeah Hesketh Sims these are the ones that yeah. you really want to and, and Harrison Reed was another player that actually scored a great goal in, in the week as well um, this time I for, for really Blackburn Rovers yeah. I, I remember there was that game against Everton about two or three seasons yeah. ago and he was a surprise start and uh, he was man of the match he, yeah. was, he was fantastic yeah it, it does seem silly and you know if we look back at the Newcastle game we had Gabbiadini taking crazy wild shots from nowhere we had Lamina taking long long range shots hitting the post we had Danny Ings you know not playing the right ball to Nathan Redmond. We've got Nathan Redmond, who I think is now the Premier League player who's had the most shots without scoring a goal this season so <laughs> really, far. I didn't know that. Um, and, you know, Charlie Austin, who looks like he can't get 60 minutes out of him, yeah. looks totally um, unfit. And Shane Long, poor Shane Long, works so hard, but never seems to be able to score a goal, again, missing at the end. And yet you're looking around the leagues and we've got Jake Hesketh, who looks like he has that level of quality that, yep. that we haven't seen since Lalana left or, um, you know... Is and what about Sam Gallagher? Are we going to start yeah, playing him? Because whenever, whenever you see him play, he, he really looks like he can make a difference. He made a great, def- he, he had a great game. Was it against Brighton? Yeah. Uh, when he came on there, you know, he he should be should be at least on the bench as an option. Yeah, I mean, it it, it seems strange because, you know, th- looking at where we were with Pellegrino last season, I do think Hughes has upped the performances a little bit the results are no improvement whatsoever I think if you look at the fixtures that we've had so far this season um, and you take the same fixtures uh, against you know last season again you know our only victory this stage is an away win at Palace which was the same again last last season so there's not an improvement in the results even if there is a bit of an improvement in perhaps the proactivity in the in the play um but you know, it seems to be that kind of lack of quality, or that lack of decision making, or that lack of, um, I suppose, confidence when we get to the final third. And I wonder if you know, are we trying to protect the young players too much by not throwing them in on this big stage in quite a toxic atmosphere sometimes at St Mary's, mm-hmm. and not wanting to expose them to that? But actually, maybe that's the kind of thing that we need to see. You know see happen to give the Saints fans a lift to see a product from the Youth Academy going someone who's fearless we do love young how, we, we love having our youth players come through yeah. it does you're right it gives the place a massive lift and we need that at the moment yeah. people are going there with a sense of dread yeah saying oh is it going to be the same again and once it I mean, that's why I think that that Austin chance in the start of the Newcastle game was so important mm. that would have given us a massive lift but yeah you're right I, I think we need to be bringing the youth players through we, if whether we're trying to protect them, they need game time if they're going to develop. Yeah. But also, let's face it, without being too overly harsh on the current players, they're not actually producing the goods. No. And if you're not producing the goods, should you really be guaranteed those starting positions? Should you be guaranteed those positions on the bench? We need to shake it up a little bit. 
um, I'd be all in favour of bringing through the, some some you, you can't chuck too many in. No. And it's and the, the Premier League is of such a high standard; they've got to have sufficient game time. But why have we sent Gallagher out on loan for the last two seasons? Yeah. And doing really well. If if it's not to developing and then and then bring him through. I mean, you know, the, the academy in terms of injection into the first team has almost dried up yeah. um, since 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 Pochettino left and Kuman came in because Kuman was very reluctant to be playing them. To be fair to Puel, he did start bringing youngsters yeah. back through again. We all remember the impact that Josh Sims had when he came on for the semi-final away um, to, against Liverpool. Yeah, because you know Shane Long got the goal, but Sims clearly did yeah. everything for that goal. So he started bringing them through. Pellegrino, well, you know, he just didn't quite know what he was doing. No. I think is generally accepted. And uh, you know, we, interesting we to see that his Leganes side are in the relegation zone. Yeah, exactly. In he, was, he was. He was. He was. He was out of his depth, unfortunately. Yeah. He seemed a nice guy, but he was out of his depth. But in recent times, who have we really brought through? I still think James Ward-Prowse can offer more. Mm. I still think that he's an incredibly valuable member of the squad. As, um, Jack Stevens is now back in, mm. but he was he was cast aside for most of the start of the yeah. season, even when we went for that back three against Chelsea. Yeah. Um, Stevens wasn't even part of that. He's you know he's come through from the system, but even then he was actually Plymouth before he came to us anyway. So we haven't really been bringing these these youngsters through for quite a while now. No. I, th- I think it is time because, uh, you know, we're looking at the players. We know that Danny Ings can score. We know that Charlie yes. Austin can score. We know that Nathan Redmond can score. We know that Gabbiadini can score. Um, you know, even Shane Long got more than 10 goals in one season for us. Well, it was that season. That, yeah. It was that Leicester winning the title season. Yeah. Because I remember Shane Long hadn't really done much at all for us the season before or that season. And I remember going that to the Arsenal game. The season, yeah. That Arsenal game on was it Boxing, Boxing Day? Day? Yeah. I remember going to that, and and myself and Evan just looked at the team. She went and went, "Oh, this looks like oh, not quite sure, but this team," and 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 we went, went on and absolutely battered them. And Martino Scott Martinez got that amazing, One amazing goal. goal. But Shane Long dominated that game, yeah. and he went on to dominate the rest of that, of that season. Even though Mane got that hat trick against yeah. Man City towards the end of the season. The player Shane of the match Long. for me that game was Shane Long. He was amazing. Yeah. But and, and you can and you can forgive it when you've got a striker who will make that level of contribution and get the occasional goal. It's more difficult when we're going through a massive goal drought and we've then got a striker who is doing all that really hard work, but it's not leading to goals by others and he's not chipping in the goals as well. That's the real sort of difference with him. And you know he's a lovely guy, and he really he works so hard, and we all love seeing that. But that that chance he had against Newcastle, to be fair, the defender Campbell, which when it was, um, managed to just about get the level mm. of block in to block the direction of goal. So even though it looked like Shane Long shot wide, if he had actually shot it on target, it would have hit the defender. So it was one of those unfortunate misses, which looked worse than it yeah. was, in my opinion. So um, I, d- I don't know if uh, your um, teaching kind of background can can help Saints here, because uh, you know <laughs> we, 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 we we've come to to the University of Southampton. I've seen your Times Higher Education Award of being the the top teacher of the year. I think was it two thousand twelve or two thousand thirteen? Yeah, yeah. yeah um, which is a, an amazing um, uh, award to receive. If you were kind of brought into Southampton as a consultant, you know, teach Southampton how to score goals, what what methods would you be applying? What do you think could even possibly help them? Oh my God, um, <laughs> I really don't know. Um, I would never be so bold as to claim to be an expert on that. And um, what I will say is that until recently, and this is obviously of mm. similar levels of quality to the Premier League. Um, I was managing my son's um, under eights through to under elevens okay, uh, yeah. football team in the in the Eastleen District Mini Soccer League and the Southampton Tyro, uh, and you know we struggled the first season. The next three seasons after that, we we barely lost any games. We we won we won a very large percentage of games. I think it was over eighty yeah. percent. We were just winning, and winning, and win winning. ratio. That's a bit better than um, Mark Hughes's twenty three percent or whatever it is at the moment. Yeah. And um, the reality is those. And, and this is where I think there are similarities. Those results were actually glossed glossed over what was mm. really happening in that we were playing some good football, but we were very much reliant on on an amazing goal scoring machine. And we had we had two very very good strikers who scored a lot of goals, but one in particular just scored goals for fun. It's just incredible, and he was all about 
the confidence and putting the team around creating the chances for him. We used to deliberately sit a little bit deep mm. to uh, to pull the off to pull the defence in to create more of an offside line and sit it deep in there. And we used to give instructions to our midfielders to look for the gaps and to hit it hard through the middle for the striker who was ridiculously fast to run onto and get through. Now, obviously, that tactic is a too very sim- is very simplistic. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to work at Premier League level, but it was about looking at what are the key, the ultimate strength of the team, and the ultimate strength of the team was playing fast balls to that striker, and that then gave him the confidence. And it just comes back to it is a massive cliche, but it is it is such a confidence yeah. game. And I think at the moment there's got to be some way of building up the confidence of the strikers but I don't think there's an easy solution to it no. I think the confidence doesn't come from training we know that you, 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 you have to do it in front of the crowd don't you it's got to be in the match situations yeah. and I just think it's I mean we all hope that the that the Brighton away game mm. in the cup was going to be the real turning point for that for the season or the Palace game in particular as well yeah. but there's just got to be that confidence thing. I mean Danny Ings looks like he can go on a run mm. and he did go on a bit of a run uh, with goals, but I don't know. I just worry that LUC might take a bit too long to turn it round. I think that I worry that Redmond still doesn't quite make those killer decisions yeah. with, the, with the ball to play for the strikers. And I do agree with you. I wonder whether there is an argument for playing Stuart Armstrong. Yeah. Um, the rumours seem to be that maybe he's, he's finding it a bit more difficult to adapt to the to the Premier League standards than other players. But he looked great in pre-season in terms of... And it comes back to that whole Tadic argument about having those little bits of creativity. And I generally think that's that's what we're missing. It's that spark player. Yeah. And my understanding is that Armstrong was really brought in for that level of replacement. So uh, in terms of in terms of teaching techniques, <laughs> I don't know. It's, I think it's just all about repetition, repetition, practice, practice, confidence. Um Drilling and quality drilling, and confidence, yeah. yeah. It's, it's all about that. I, I wonder as well, I mean, you're talking about, even your under-8s teams sound like they have an identity for the way they played. There was a, an identity. Oh, an identity. And very I'm clear struggling identity. to understand what the Mark Hughes-Southampton identity is. We're trying lots of different things. We don't, and, and perhaps that's, you know, because he's struggling to see what the best tune he can get out of his players. It's, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes back to something you mentioned in mm. in the podcast that you did at the pub for the Chelsea game where you mentioned there about the changes that were suddenly being made where we did start the Burnley and pre-season with with a back three or back five whichever way you want to look at it Um, and then jettisoned that halfway through the Burnley game and then it didn't resurface until the Chelsea game and and then we went back to a f- to the four four two. There does seem to be a little bit of level of confusion there. Yeah. I think towards, I think with some matches last season we did look a little bit better mm. with a back three and two wing backs. There's no doubt in the quality of Bertrand and Cedric, particularly Bertrand in terms yeah. of creativity. Cedric still doesn't quite. He does seem to overhit crosses. Mm. I worry about playing that sort of system in the fact that you then become too reliant on crosses from out wide. I remember seeing one statistic, I probably got the figures wrong, but I remember seeing one statistic um, a year or two ago. There was a there was a big study about Premier League football showing that a goal gets scored from a cross. It takes 1 in 78 crosses Blimey. for a goal to be scored from a wide. And if you're playing that wing-back system, you're automatically going so wide. Yeah. And you've then got a longer time for the ball to come in by the time it gets there. So there's more time for centre-backs to adjust their body position. So I think cutting into the channels a bit more is critical. And I worry whether whether we've got the creative midfielders to be able to support the having wing-backs. Again, having that level of quality, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it comes back to that, I think. Okay, um, so I think we're you know we're coming up to the end of the podcast now. Um, we did have another little bit of uh, bad news on Saturday when Glenn Hoddle uh, was yeah. whisked out of the BT Sports Studios after having a heart attack. Obviously, he was a, a, an interesting character for Southampton. Yes, not very much so. not well loved. Nope. Um, but we did play some wonderful football under Hoddle as well. We so I think you know we should send him. Our best wishes. Of course, um, absolutely. Yeah, and um, the, the other thing as well, before we uh, finish this podcast, I mean, I'd love to hear about what your kind of favourite Southampton memory is before we sign off the podcast. Yeah, let's finish with something quite glorious. Okay, so two, really. Um, first one, very quick one. 
the there was a Middlesbrough game. I think it was either three nil or four nil. It was either ninety six or ninety seven, and I was down uh, by the corner, and the all time god, the god, yeah. um, just picked the picked the ball up to go to the corner. Everybody in the stand was doing the usual sort of bowing down, yeah. we're not worthy <laughs> wave, uh, and uh, and he turned to the crowd and he just said far corner, took the corner, bang, far corner. And, and he scored, and it was just, oh my god! Uh, I'll never forget that. That was that was that was proper magic. But undoubtedly, my favourite memory was uh, I was lucky enough to get tickets for the six-three game oh. uh, against Man United at the Dell, and everything about that game was just magical. I was down the end where Latis scored that that lob, which is still my favourite goal that I've ever seen live in any football match. I think I it's maybe the most beautiful that. goal ever scored in the it Premier League. Is, that it's just gorgeous and there was you know there was the great book which volley and austin stad with the with just the rounding the keep and just slotting in just just everything about his brilliant again seen Roy Keane get sent off was always funny yeah um and the funniest thing from my memory of that game is just just the build-up of joy and us chanting we won five we won five yeah. and they scored five we won six and we scored six we won seven didn't quite get to that but it was close <laughs> and, and when when the sixth goal went in there was somebody next to us and i was increasingly um conscious of the fact that this guy and his son really didn't look like they were getting quite into the the unbelievable joy that's yeah. going on around us i mean people were getting completely overexcited and rightly so and the six goal minute, we were, and, and this guy sort of turns and goes, I suppose you think this is funny, don't you? And the son was like crying, and, and, and I was going, well, actually, yes, I do yeah. think this is very funny. I think it's not just funny, I think it's entertaining, I think it's glorious, and I think this is a, this is just magic. And the, and the bloke just oh, ruffled some things and just stormed off at that point. But I, I, I did think, what's well, your own fault, mate? You shouldn't come to the game if you're going to end up in the home st- in the home stand and not expect the home team to be celebrating madly if you just shoved six past Man United. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, that was that was my favourite, and obviously the FA Cup 2003. Yeah, being there for that was an experience. Well, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very well, much, you, Professor John. Simon Kemp. Um, it was brilliant to have you on the podcast. Some fantastic insights. We'll, we'll have to do this again sometime. I'll come, I'll come and travel up here again. Maybe we'll catch you at one of the games. Um, I'll tell you what we should do. We should record these in one of the conferences that we go to. Yeah. Uh, record it at midnight at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a couple of podcasts after a few beers now, and there is a definite tail down in quality of my <laughs> of my chat after a couple of beers. Um, but yeah, brilliant. Thank you once again, uh, Simon, for getting onto the podcast. If you want to email in your thoughts, saintsfc at podcast at gmail.com. Obviously, we're also on Twitter at saintsfc podcast. Thank you very much, everyone. And um, we'll be back with you again in a week or two. Ta ta.